second. There's still 30 seconds. Yeah. I'll just chat with you for a minute. So uh, Firestarters is at 4 o'clock. If you haven't been to Firestarters, we encourage you to come. It's had some crazy cool healings uh, in Firestarters. So um, moving on to other things. Um, uh, so if you want to come, that's at 4 o'clock this afternoon. Just encounter the Holy Spirit. So we're glad you're here. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, everyone watching us by live stream. We want to encourage you to share the stream. Uh, we're very honored to have you uh, take the time out of your life to listen to some good news, and we want to encourage you to share it and uh, bless other people. Some people need Jesus. How many knows we need good news? Right? Not a lot of good news. Jesus only has good news. The gospel is good news. Say this, I was not created for the good life. I know you're going to have a hard time saying that. You're like, where are we going with this, Pastor, before I want to know? Say this, I was created <laughs> for the better life. Jesus has a better life, a better life than good. We're talking about God's abundant overflow. The good life's about looking good, feeling good, and having the goods. And while that's all right, there's a better life. God's called us to live a life where we have certainty. God's called us to live a life where we can have security. God's called us to live a life where we can have joy and we can have courage. Anybody want that life? Right? You can have a lot of goods and not have security. You can have a lot of goods and not have joy. You can feel good at the same time, but not, feel, not, not have any kind of certainty at all. Not knowing the next day, one day from the next. God's called us to live an, over, an overflowing life. A life that overflows. This is the language of the gospel. This is the language of the kingdom. This is how God speaks about us. He wants us to give us life, but a fullness of life. An overflowing life of power, love, and soundness of mind, the Bible says. That word soundness of mind is a Greek word called safran, and it means from the inside out. Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. That's his desire for us, is that we live a life of soundness based upon what he has placed within us. This is how God loves us. He loves us so much. We're governed not by outward circumstances. This is God's will for his people, is that we not be led by, a, by, by outward circumstances, not by what we see. Over and over, this is told, this is told to us. And in a, in a season and in a world that we live in now, there's no greater, wor no greater word for the church than to not be governed by what we see, not be governed by what we hear. Did Jesus tell you that? If Jesus didn't tell you that, it's not true. It's not true. And somebody last week said, aren't you worried about the Delta, Pastor? I said, I have an Alpha and Omega. Why am I worried about a Delta? Why am I worried about a Delta when I have an Alpha and an Omega? I have the final answer. <laughs> Jesus included everyone. 2 Corinthians 5.15. Good news, Christian. For those that don't know Jesus, this is the best news. Jesus included everyone in his death so that everyone could receive new life. Jesus died for everyone. But that doesn't mean everyone is born again. We have to receive Jesus. How do we live this life of abundant overflow? It begins with receiving Jesus. We could receive a new life, a resurrected life, a life that is far better than we've ever lived without him. This is what the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians message translation. God's called us to himself. He died for all so that all could have the opportunity to come to him and all could live through him and could live a life that is better. Here's a big rub with Christians. This is what happens a lot. This is, this is what I've seen. I'm an observer of the church. This is what I do. I do this, right? I look at the scripture and then I look at, look at what takes place in the church or I look at the scripture and I kind of see where, 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 what's going on in the lives of the people and why don't we see this word acting like that in the lives of the people? And oftentimes what we do is that we, we receive Jesus, but we don't live our lives through him. We're not in relationship with him in a personal level or we're at a relationship with him on a religious level. We relate to him religiously. We don't relate to him personally, in depth. And one of the basic ways you do that is by starting to line yourself up with him. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord and do what you say and not do what I say? That's what he said. 
It's a big thing. Jesus is Lord. Yeah, you're born again spiritually, but we have to take areas of our life and give them to him. This is how we experience an overflowing, abundant goodness of God in our lives. Is when we, go th- we, when, we, when we begin to align our lives up with him, God's life in us begins to overflow out of our life and changes literally the atmosphere, the systems, and the circumstances around us. It's what happens. Romans 8.15 says, You have not received a spirit that makes you slaves to fear. So when we come to Christ, we're no longer slaves to fear. A believer gets born again and they start thinking, Oh, God's mad at me. God's mad at me. And you get afraid. You don't want to approach him. Then God's out to get you. God was out to get you. He'd already have you. He's not out to get you. We receive the Spirit of God. When we get born again, the Holy Spirit comes inside of us. And the Holy Spirit does not come inside of us to enslave us. The Holy Spirit comes inside of us to to free us. The Holy Spirit comes inside of us to adopt us, the Bible says, as children. And we relate to God now based on the aspect that we are sons and daughters and He is our Father. It's a transformational relationship. This is something that takes us time to develop into. But if we can understand that I am God's son and he is my father and I can learn to relate to him not based upon my earthly experiences with my earthly father or the lack thereof, whether my father was a five-star father or my father was a negative two-star father, it doesn't matter. We're not to relate to our heavenly father based upon earthly situations. That's what takes time. You have to cultivate this relationship with him. You have to learn him as your father and learn that he is good all the time and that he means you no harm. And when you start doing that, you start relating to him that way, the the love of God begins to overflow out of your life. People think they need to love God more. You don't need to love God more. You need to know how much he loves you. And it's not, say it with me, love is to seek the highest good. That's right. So when we say love in America, based upon our Harlequin novels, our novellas, and all of the soap opera style love within our culture, we think feeling. Love in the scripture is not a feeling. Love in the scripture is an intent. God so loved, he gave. Love is an intention. Love, is to, love in the scripture from God's perspective is a Greek word agapeo, and it means to seek the highest good. So when God is loving you and say, I need to love God more. No, you need to understand how much he is actively seeking your highest good. And if you begin to learn how much he is out for your good and you begin to learn how much he genuinely only wants to benefit you, you'll draw closer to him. We need to know how much he loves us. God wants to work in your life. He wants to work in your marriage. He wants to work in your finances. He wants to work in your future. He wants to work in your faith to develop you to another level. He wants to work in your future to give you a destiny and a calling. Where you are is not... A lot of people are frustrated with where they are. They know there's something better for them, but they don't know how to get there. Jesus cares about it. He's the one that can bring you there. When you realize that God's goodness towards you is only to benefit you and to bring you higher, then we start to understand. We don't run from him. We work with him. We start to, war- we start to relate to him. You didn't receive a spirit of slavery. You received a spirit of adoption. You're sons and daughters. Say with me. I'm a son of the highest. I'm a daughter. There you go. You got me. There, a son and daughter of the highest. Say this with me. Royal blood is in my veins. I am an heir to this world, and to the one to come. Do you know that? You have an inheritance. You're an heir to this world. You're an heir. You don't have to, so that's a spiritual concept. We have power and authority in Christ, and we are heirs to this world, and we are heirs to the one to come. We rule and reign. Spiritually, there's no no one with more authority than the born-again believer. No one has more authority in the spirit than the born-again believer in this life. You can take a five-year-old kid that can speak And he has more authority if he's born again or a little boy or a girl than any devil in hell. You have more authority. We have power and authority. We don't understand how to necessarily activate it. We don't understand how to necessarily bring it forth. But that doesn't change the fact that it's there. Doesn't change the fact. We did uh, fire starters in uh, last two weeks. And I think we prayed for 40 people. You were there, right? Sam, you got, you, they were there. 40 out of 40 got healed. 
Right? Some of it came back, but because there's other issues related to it, but not all of it, just a handful. But 40 out of 40 people got healed. Why is that? Power and authority. People were laying hands on people that had never laid hands on people before. And you're seeing healing. I, I don't think, well, last week I prayed for a few people, but that was only at the end. You know? And like, I got a barrage. Pray for me, pastor. But I was intentionally not trying to pray for anyone. I was trying to show the believer that the power is active and present for you now. It's not pastor anointed Kevin that's laying hands on you. Right? Although I can, it, the issue is to activate the saints in the work of the ministry to get the people praying. We had, that, we had it happening. Power and authority in the room right now. I mean, we probably 12 people healed the sciatica. <laughs> like sciatica off the chart. Yeah, like 10. Not able to stand. Can't bend over sciatica. That type of sciatica. Crazy stuff. Restoration in a lot of ways. The, the power belongs to you. This, that's just one component of the believer's authority. It's one component of who we are. And we're called to bring that forth into this world. We're called to rule and reign. We don't have a clue what that means for the most part. We're woefully ignorant. We have to develop that and grow in that. But that doesn't change the fact that we are the ones who've been given authority. John 10, Jesus said the thief, that would be the devil. The devil's purpose in your life, the devil's purpose in this world is to steal, kill, and destroy. Here's Theology 101. Everybody say, Theology 101. Real simple. Good God, say it with me, good God, bad devil, right? It's right here. So if, if there's something that steals, kills, and destroys, it's not from the Lord. Is it stealing? Is it killing? Is it destroying? It's a result of sin. It's a result of an empowerment of a fallen angel doing, through fallen people in fallen systems in fallen circumstances. It is not the Lord. Jesus' specialty is breaking into those circumstances and reversing the effects. That's what he does. We have authority in this world. Jesus will come again and he will claim full authority of the earth. But until that time, you know who has authority in the earth? Do you know who has spiritual authority? We do. We do. So if we don't exercise it, that authority and that dominion never comes forth. Well, God's going to do what God's going to do. No, he's not. He's given the power to the church. He's given the power to the Christian. If the Christian doesn't plug the toaster into the, into the power, the toaster's useless. If we don't activate the power to which we are, have the ability to connect, that power is useless. Theology 101, the devil steals, kills, and destroys. Jesus says, my purpose is to give you life, a rich, overflowing, satisfying life. That's the Lord's purpose. Well, God just wants to harm me. The Lord's just teaching me a lesson. Who told you that? Who told you that? God did this to me to humble me. Who told you that? It's not there. How do we live this overflowing life? It begins when you surrender your life to Jesus. You want to, you want to live an overflowing life? We're all on this quest for life. We all want to feel alive. We all want to live. We all want to be alive. We all want our lives to matter for the most part. We want to not just experience life, but we want to learn how to make a life for others. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You want to you know how to connect with other people and be, have something meaningful relationships and be able to create influence into other people's lives? You're designed to do that. But it begins with Jesus. This is anybody heard of Nick at night? This is the first Nick at night, John chapter 3, verse 3. <laughs> Nick at night. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. <laughs> That's right. You, know, you like that, don't you? Yeah, all right. So he was like, Nicodemus was a religious leader. He was Dr. So and so. He was Mr. Sophisticated. He would never let anybody know that he had any interest in Jesus whatsoever. Sounds like a lot of Christians. Don't want anybody to know I'm about Jesus. No, 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 no. Had a guy tell me, I can't share my stream, then all my friends will know I'm a believer. I literally had a guy tell me that. I'm like, I'm like that just might be a problem. You don't want to share the stream on your Facebook page, but you'll share Budweiser logos and, you know, whatever it is that you're doing, you know, owns, 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 you know, parties at the beach, but you can't share Jesus. Come on, man. Come on. Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. He didn't want to be seen. And he said, assuredly, and, G and he starts asking him all these spiritual questions. Jesus, and, he, and Jesus looked at him and he said, Nicodemus, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is thinking like a natural person, but he forgets that this kingdom is not natural. It's supernatural. 
And Jesus, can a man enter into his mother's womb and be born a second time? And Jesus said, unless you are born of water and of spirit, you cannot enter. So this kingdom cannot even be understood unless you're born again. He said, you won't even see it. You're not even aware of the power and the purpose of this spiritual kingdom unless you're born again. You have to be born again to even have the potential to understand it. And when you're born again, what you receive is the potential to understand it. Doesn't mean you understand it. You have the potential to understand it. To you, it has been given to understand the mysteries of the kingdom of God, Jesus said. Doesn't mean you understand it. Gold, God hides it. It's the glory of God to conceal the matters. The glory of kings and queens, that would be you and me, to reveal it. God calls us to himself and we are kings, queens, and priests before our God. The Lord hides things not from us. The Lord hides things for us because he wants a relationship of discovery. He wants you to walk with him. He wants you to discover things with him, right? He wants you to, he wants you to start pressing in. And as you press in, God will begin to reveal to you treasures and your faith will come alive. Your faith will become experiential because the Lord is revealing the deep truths and the deep realities of his life into yours. And so Nicodemus is thinking naturally. One of my favorite verses in the scripture is when Jesus looks at this guy who has spent his entire life studying the scripture and Jesus looks at him and says, are you a teacher of Israel and you don't understand this? Are you teaching my people and you don't understand basic principles? I think we got to hit rewind in America and we got to look at this a little bit. You know, we need to understand things before we teach the people. We need to understand things before we bring it forward. It was a rebuke. And Jesus said, unless you're born again, you're not going to be able to even comprehend what's available to you. Unless you're born again, you'll never enter it. You will always be outside of it. You must be born again. When you're born again, you enter the kingdom. When you're born again, you have the potential to understand the kingdom of God. Hebrews says, I am here. Jesus says, I'm here to bring forth the children the Father has given to me. Since these children are people with physical bodies, Jesus himself became like them. He did this so that by dying, he could destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. To be outside of the kingdom of heaven is to be under the rulership of the devil. There's light and darkness. There's no middle ground. You're either in Christ or you're under the authority and the dominion of the devil. You say, I don't believe that. It doesn't matter what you believe. Belief doesn't determine truth. Belief is not truth is not determined by what you believe. I don't believe in gravity. Go up on the top of the building and jump. Gravity exists whether you believe in it or not. People say they don't believe that. It's not true. Jesus died to break the power of the devil off of our lives. He did this by dying to destroy the power that was over us. We're all born of Adam. This is a, this is a, this is a teaching I try to thread through here quite often because it's necessary to be understood. Say it with me. Iniquity is issues in the bloodline. Right? There's a big thing on sin in the scripture. We don't understand sin. We think sin is this one singular component. Sin has multiple facets for it. Not every sin condemns us. The sin of condemnation was the sin of Adam. It's the harimatia, to push away, it's to offend. Adam said, I don't need God. And he pushed God away. That sin, Adam gave the farm away. That sin became embedded in Adam. Adam is the fountainhead of all mankind. The federal head, they would say. From him, all rivers of ethnicity flow. We're all descendants of Adam. All of us. All of us carry the sin of Adam without Jesus. Because Adam is our ancestor and Adam brought the iniquity into your bloodline. You're born of Adam. There's the iniquity in your blood. Just bear the fact that you're born. You must be born again. When you're born again, you're not born. You're no longer under the old Adam. You come into Christ. Under sin, Adam is never judged. This is important. God's judgment was never on Adam. Adam's ju God's judgment was on sin. And because Adam was under sin, therefore Adam is under judgment. Because the descendants of Adam and Eve were in Adam and God judged the sin and we're under sin, therefore we're under judgment. When you get born again, you don't you come out from under sin. You don't come under Jesus. You come into him. Big difference. It's a spiritual transactions. These are things that take place at a, at a level that is well beyond our, our ability to understand. 
well beyond our ability to understand. These are deep spiritual truths that God, that, God is, that God tries to communicate to us that we would understand. When you get born again, you're born by the blood of Jesus, right? Aren't we? Right? The resurrection is the power of our born again, but it's the blood that is our atonement. Why blood? Because iniquity is in the bloodline. You understand that? The sin is in the blood of Adam. So Jesus had to bring us forward with the blood, with the pure blood. We're born not of corruptible seed, the Bible says. We're born of incorruptible seed. Pure blood. You're born, of, you're born again. You belong to the Lord. If you've given your life, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, I'm not talking about making some fruity confession or thinking, oh, I intellectually believe. Intellectual belief is not conversion, people. Bible said that's what James says. You believe. You intellectually believe that Jesus is God. Good for you. The devils do too. It's conversion of the heart. It's the absolute surrender of the will unto the Lord. It's just believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. It's not a difficult process, but it's not mental ascension. It's heartfelt surrender. Just a surrendered heart. And if you do that, the Bible says Jesus comes into you and the iniquity within your bloodline is no more. I didn't say you didn't have issues, but you're born again. You come out from under sin and you come into Christ. You are born again. Happy day. And you have access to an overflowing life. What are the benefits of this overflowing life? The forgiveness of sin. The adoption as sons and daughters. Happy day. Your past is over, Christian. Your sins are remembered no more. You, can, you carry lingering after effects of a life that is no longer yours. The problem in the believer's life is not in the spirit. The problem in the believer's life is in the soul. Your spirit is born again, but your soul's a train wreck. Your mind, your will, and your emotions, that's where the problem is. You are a three-part being. You are a spirit, you are a soul, and you are a body. What makes us equal is our body and our soul. What makes us different is our spirit. Your uniqueness comes from your spirit. But every person has a body, and every person has a soul. We all have a mind, a will, and an emotion. When you're born again, the uniqueness of who you are is who God claims. And he gives you power and authority to do what? Reclaim the soul. Reclaim the mind, the will, and the emotion. That's where all of our baggage is. Christians sometimes don't believe. They're like, well, I got born again, but I still have all these issues. I got born again, and I have fear off the chart. I got born again, but my mind is all over the place. I got born again, but I still carry all these pains and these regrets, and I don't feel like I can ever bring myself to the place of forgiveness. I forgive with my mind, but the forgiveness is still, the unforgiveness is there. We don't admit that. Right? It's a big one, right? We forgive with the mind. That's all God expects of us is cognitive. But there are lingering after effects of the wounds, the traumas, the regrets, and the pains that you carry. That's why when you hear that song, you get all broken up. Right? When you hear that memory, you get all broken up. That memory comes to you. Some people get broken up over Christmas trees. Or there's mirrors in our life that trigger the trauma of a life that is no longer ours. The damage is in the soul. The damage is in the spirit. That's why we need to understand you're born again. You're born again. Just because you got issues doesn't mean you're born again or you're not born again. You're born again even though you got issues. God's calling you to another place. That's, where, that's, that's part of the overflowing life. First thing you got to realize is that you are, if you've given your life to Christ and the Spirit's in you, then you are born again. You say, well, how do I know the Spirit's in me? What's different? This is the big question. What's different? What's different? I'll tell you two easy stories because I've had this question several times over the years. And a woman say, I prayed the prayer. What's different? What, I, prayed the, I prayed that prayer that you pray, Kevin. They're like, what, what, how do I know that it's real? And I asked her. I said, what's different? And her, she went, wow. She's like, I, I can forgive. She's like, I felt like, I said, was that a problem for you? She's like, it was a big problem for me. Right? I had another guy said the same thing. I prayed. And he said, uh, big dude, look like Rick Ross. Anybody know who Rick Ross is? This dude looked like Rick Ross. He wore glasses like Rick Ross. Big dude. You know, said to me, hey, I prayed that prayer, man. And he said, uh, how do I know it's real? I said, what's different? He said, everything's different. It's like I see colors. I said, is that an issue for you? He goes, man, all I saw before was concrete and heat. That's what he told me. He's like, when I walked in the world, he said, all I saw was concrete and heat. And he's like, now I see colors. Now I, there's something's different. Something's different. 
but Christ comes into you, something changes. Something changes. It was a guy, uh, an actor out in Hollywood. I, I watched his, this years ago, I watched his interview and his sister became a Christian and he was kind of like, oh yeah, whatever, these Christians, you know, he was mocking it. He eventually comes to Jesus and they asked him, they said, um, uh, what brought you to the Lord? You know, and he said, I was at the grocery store with my sister and he said, we were buying groceries. He said, I bought my donuts. This guy's saying, I bought a box of donuts. I opened my donuts and I started eating them. And he said, and my sister started correcting me. You know, why are you eating those donuts? You shouldn't be eating those donuts like she always did. And he said to her, he said, sis, why are you so bossy? And she said, he looked, she looked at him and said, you're right. I'm so sorry. And he said, in that moment, <laughs> I knew there's something different about my sister. <laughs> and he said, that was what opened his eyes. There was something different about her. She actually did that. So it's crazy. When you come to Jesus, you get the benefits of an overflowing life. You're a son and a daughter, Christian. God is no longer looking at you based upon your past. You have lingering after effects of a former life. You have to be sanctified. That's a process. But from heaven's eyes, God is not looking at you in light of the, uh, light of the mess in your life. He's looking at you based upon your identity, sons and daughters. And you have got to receive that, and you've got to believe that, and you've got to live your life from that point. You will forever struggle as a Christian if you cannot grasp the concept that you are a son or a daughter. It doesn't matter what you feel. Say it. I am worthy because he says I'm worthy. You don't determine your value and worth. Oh, I'm not a son. Well, who told you that? In Christ, Jesus says you're a son. Well, my heart just tells me I'm not. If your heart condemns you, Jesus is greater than your heart and he knows all things. He knows everything. You have to receive yourself and understand that I'm a son of the highest. This is who I am. No one defines my identity but Jesus. I'm loved on my worst day. He is for me even when I'm against me. That's, that's who he is. And when you start understanding that, you live differently. That's the key. That if you want a, a gateway into a life that overflows, you want a gateway into the activation of the Christian life. And, it's a, and the, well, I wouldn't even use Christian life. I'm going to use it this way. Kingdom lifestyle. We're called into a kingdom lifestyle. The gateway into the kingdom lifestyle is understanding your identity in Jesus. You're a son. Live from that center. You're a daughter. Live from that center. You're loved and accepted. When you get that and you realize how much he loves you and how much you're for him, man, there's nothing that gets between you and him. Nothing. Nothing. You're going you're gonna to go for it all the time. You're always going to want to be around Jesus. You have the forgiveness of sins, which means you're adopted into a family. You're not alone. You receive Christ, you're brought into the family of God. You're not alone. Happy day. Happy day. Look around. Look around. Everybody look around. Sons and daughters, brothers and sisters. God commands us to relate as a family in this context more than, he, more than we relate to our own natural family. Do you know that? This is our family. Who are my mother? Who are my brother? Who are my sisters and brothers? Jesus said. They that hear the word of God and do it. Do good to all, but especially to the household of faith. We are the body of Christ. This is the bloodline that we all flow from. You have, you have new mothers in this house. You have new fathers in this house. You have new brothers and new sisters. You have new sons and spiritual sons and spiritual daughters. So one of the things that God does with the church is to reclaim the brokenness of our families. That's why we're supposed to be really good at relationships as Christians. We're not supposed to be petty. We're supposed to apologize when we're wrong, right? We're not supposed to be egotistical. We're not supposed to defraud or take advantage of one another. We're supposed to prefer one another. We're supposed to bless and honor each other in every way. That's what Jesus commands because it's how his family operates. It's the restoration of the family one to the other. You are loved extravagantly. So what are the benefits? You're adopted. You're part of a family. You say it with me. I am loved extravagantly. He loves you extravagantly. I don't know. I'm not worth anything. Value. Say it with me. Value is determined by the price someone is willing to pay. Did Jesus pay a lot for you? Did he? Well, then you must be worth something. You're of highest value and worth. Highest value. Jesus said, you say, how much do you love me, Jesus? He said, this much. He stretched out his arms and then he died. 
He would rather die for you than live without you. Think about that. He would rather die for you than live without you. This is who he is. You think he's out to get you? He's out to embrace you. He wants to know you. He wants to live in you. He wants to live through you. He loves you so much. Unbelievable. He's, he's so, so for you. Imagine the king of glory. He has everything. Surrounded by anything and everything he wants. And he's going to set aside everything that he is. The glory of his eternal world. Which is completely not like this. And he comes down and subjugates himself to everybody in this world. He came as a servant. Born in the lowliest fashion. He was a beggar. Like he wasn't a beggar, but he, he, he basically identified as homeless. He came as a servant. He came, say, why did Jesus do that? Well, Jesus was poor, therefore we need to be pure. You don't understand what he was doing at all. You understand? He got below the lowest form of humanity. In, he got so low that he could lift, so he could lift man up. He went low so that he could lift you up. You understand that? Somebody, somebody give him a skim. Somebody give him something. That's right. He went beneath you. You may never have lived life at that level, but somebody has. So Jesus is able to save to the uttermost because he went as low as you can go. He suffered mockery. He suffered abuse. He suffered all kinds of things. He suffered ridicule. He was called a bastard his whole life. We know who our mother is, you bastard child. You're the mother of that teenage prostitute, aren't you? They called him, you know, that's what they called him. They called him a wine-bibber, called him a drunkard, a reveler. He was born under ridicule. He was born, he had a reputation that followed him everywhere he went. The religiously correct, the elite, didn't accept him. <laughs> but the sinners and the tax collectors did, Right? There's a song by Chris Mullins that says, The whores all seem to love him, and the drunks propose a toast. And they sing, Surely God is with us. That's right. He didn't come for the well. He came for the broken. And that's you and me, if you understand it. <laughs> a kingdom of paupers, simpletons, and rogues. <laughs> and we are ordained with royalty, given positions of honor, that we did not earn. God demonstrated his love for us. Romans 5.8. He demonstrated it. He didn't send you a postcard. He didn't say, you know, he didn't write a letter. He demonstrated it. He came. He demonstrated his great love for us. For Jesus died while we were still sinning against him. You didn't even apologize. You were still mocking him. Flipping him the bird, saying, up yours, I don't believe in you, God, get away from me, all this other stuff. Yet Christ died for you. God loves you even in the midst of your stupidity. Even in the midst of your arrogance, his love is still compelled towards you. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I did inner healing with this. I do inner healing sometimes. And um, sometimes people have issues with God, even Christians, right? And something happened one time in an inner healing. And I kept hearing the Lord say to me, um, she has issues with me. She has issues with me. And so I asked her, I said, do you have issues with the Lord? And she said, no. And so I said, ask the Holy Spirit, do you have issues with the Lord? And so she asked the Holy Spirit and she looked at me and she goes, I hate him. Yeah. That's the most honest thing you could ever say, right? I hate him. You have unforgiveness towards the Lord because the Lord didn't meet your expectation or something, but yet you've been offended and you've been hurt. Watch this. So I do this process of inner healing. There are certain things that take place within the inner healing. And in the inner healing, she meets Jesus, right? So we, we bring her into a connection with the Lord. And I'm seeing this thing and I'm asking the Lord how to do it. What am I asking him for? And so there's this idea of bringing her before the Lord. And I'm seeing the Lord and I'm just, I'd never done this particular juncture of inner healing before but God was showing you know, I felt like the Lord's like just follow the leader Kevin I've done this enough to understand how to do it and so he shows me and I see Jesus sitting at a table and I said I want you to see you're walking up to Jesus he's sitting at a table and I'm walk, walking this through and uh, she stands at the table and the Lord goes have her sit down have her sit down have her sit down so I want you to get this straight so in the spirit, God wants to heal and God wants to reason with her brokenness and her unforgiveness towards him, right? 
You, you would think that when you go, I hate you, Jesus would be like, of all the things I've done for you after dying on a cross for you, like we would do, man, I gave up my everything for you and I did all this for you and you have the, the, the audacity to say you hate me? In the spirit, when the Lord was telling me to present her before him, he said, I just want her to come to me and I want her to sit down. Just sit down. Come, let us reason together. God wants to reason with you. God doesn't have an issue with your issues. He doesn't have an issue with your problem. You need to understand how good he is. How good he is. His, his goodness surpasses your anger. His goodness surpasses your frustration. And if we're honest, many of us have been angry with the Lord more than once. And some of you are still holding a grudge. The only difference between you and her is the fact that she acknowledged it. That's the difference. But it's a barrier to the relationship. Jesus doesn't want any barriers there. He wants to work stuff out with you. He would rather die for you than live without you. You are that valuable to him. He has, an, he has no, nothing that he holds against you. You're born again in Christ. Ephesians 3 says, May you be able to experience and understand you are loved extravagantly, Christian. Loved extravagantly. He's for you even when you're against you. He's for you even when you're against him. There's another dimension. May God experience, may you experience the, the really and understand, say it with me, how long, how wide, how deep, and how high God's love really is. That's right. God's love has four dimensions. So this, this is where it is telling us. You say, well, how long is God's love? Say it with me. Long enough to last forever. That's right. How wide is God's love? Wide enough to follow you everywhere. You can't get away from it. God's love is so long, it never departs from you. He will never withdraw his love from you. God's love is so wide that it will go anywhere with you. There's nowhere you can go to escape God's love. You can't keep God from loving you. He's going to love you. What does that mean? He's not going to have an emotional experience, but he's always going to look at your life and look at you to see how he can benefit you. That's what he's doing. He is actively looking and watching your life and following you everywhere to say, what can I do to benefit you? He wants to benefit you. He wants to partner with you. So in order to bring forth, how deep is God's love? It's deeper than life's lowest despair. No matter how low you go, God's love can meet you there. You say, I don't know how to work it out, Kevin. I'm so low. I don't know how to fix this. Jesus does. I don't know how to get out of this pit. I'm in a hole. I don't know how to get out of it. Jesus does. His love goes to the deep, lowest valleys. His God knows how to get you out of where you found yourself. He knows how to deliver you from the places you've put your, yourself in. This is how much he loves you. This is the overflowing life you can't lose. How high is God's love? High enough to overlook your sins. You give your life to Christ, he overlooks your sins. He doesn't see your sin anymore. The Bible says it's thrown in the sea of forgetfulness. As far as the east is from the west, his love overlooks all of those things. His desire is for you to experience it. Another benefit of God's, of the overflowing life is not just extravagant love, but Jesus, say with me, Jesus, this is very important. Jesus is going to take care of me. Well, God helps those who help themselves. Well, where's that in the Bible? Is that a scripture? Anybody got a chapter and verse for that? There's no chapter and verse for that. Jesus is going to take care of you. When you give your life to Christ, you know what he does? He obligates himself to you. Obligates himself to take care of you. Obligates. Philippians 4.19, my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Everybody say needs. That's the issue. He obligates himself to take care of you. Your needs. Wants, desires, dreams, destinies. That's another thing. But God will take care of you. David said, I've seen, I've seen young lions hunger and su do suffer lack, but the righteous will never be forsaken. God, the animals may suffer, but God's going to take care of his people. God's going to take care of his children. He obligates himself to you as in Adonai. Adonai means Lord. Adonai. So when you come to Jesus, this, this is important. This is teaching. What I'm giving you is teaching, not preaching. Right? The, the, we, we desire the teaching of the word is what makes us grow, Christian. Preaching gives us a little lift. It's like a Snickers bar. Woo, I feel good. But teaching inserts itself into our DNA and stabilizes us and makes us strong. 
This is, this, this is what I'm giving you this morning is teaching. Adonai, Jesus is Lord. That's what that word means. But he doesn't lord over you. He doesn't lord over you. He lords towards you. He's your benefactor. God obligates himself to benefit you. Happy day. He's El Shaddai, all sufficient. You're not sufficient, but he is. God's like, I'll take care of it. Where are you insufficient? He'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. Here's one of my favorite ones. My favorite one's marriage. I, I used to say, I, I use my marriage all the time. Why? Because it's ground zero for discipleship. Well, I can't wait to get married so that I can live happily ever after. <laughs> yeah. You think you got it together as a believer? You have to practice your faith when you come to Christ, when you get married. If you're a Christian, you have to practice this stuff. My pants were worn out at the knees, falling down and crying out, help me, Jesus. That woman you gave me, just like Adam. I'm like, I'm not sufficient for this marriage. And the Lord will say, I am. He is sufficient. He'll guide you if you look to him. You can, you can work it all out with your ego if you want to. It's not going to go very far. You can let ego lead the relationship, or you can crucify that ego and decimate that ego and crumble that ego and let Christ live through you. That's how it works. <laughs> it's painful. But wherever you don't have sufficiency, he has sufficiency. You don't have sufficiency to face the day. He does. You don't have sufficiency to solve your problems. He does. Relational. He gives you his name and his promises, but you have to activate them. He gives you his name. Say it with me. He gives me his name and he gives me his promises, but I have to activate them. You have an inheritance. Here it is. One verse in Ephesians. That the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened, that you would know the hope of his calling and what are the richness of the inheritance of him in the saints. What is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? Mighty power. Exomai dunamas. Authoritative power. God works towards you. God gives these things to you in authority. He gives it to you by his power and he gives it to you in his authority. He does it because he wants to. God gives you himself and gives you an inheritance just because he wants to. His inheritance is in his name. You need healing? His name is Jehovah Rapha. You need provision? His name is Jehovah Jireh. Right? You need protection? His name is Jehovah Nisi. You need presence? His name is Jehovah Shammah. You need an overflowing life? His name is Jehovah Shalom. You need to know and affirm your identity, your inheritance? Jehovah Makedash. The Lord is my righteousness. I am righteous. Righteousness is my inheritance. I am right before God. By what claim? Well, not just the name of Jesus, but the Je name Jehovah, Makedash, the Lord, who the Lord is my righteousness. He makes me right. His inheritance is in his name, in his name. All who call upon the name of the Lord. Jesus, right? Yes, of course. Inheritance is salvation and eternal life, the forgiveness of sins. That's the inheritance in his name. But everything, these, he gives you compound names. El Shaddai, El Sufficiency, All Sufficient. He gives it to you. Fourth one, all right, almost there. Fourth overflowing benefit is Jesus. Say it with me, Jesus. Wow. Jesus, come on. <laughs> Has a purpose for my life. Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. That word works is a Greek word called ergon, and it means through you. God has created you in him so that his goodness can move through your life. God's power can move through your life. It's not some outward thing that you're doing. That's not the good work. It's the divine partnership with the spirit. That's the ergon. That's the works of God is what his partnership through your life. God has prepared those beforehand that we should walk in them. Philippians 3.14. This is good. I press towards the prize of the upward calling in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let as many of you who are mature, you want to know what maturity looks like? Maturity, one of, the, one of the points of maturity to the believer are those who press towards their calling, the upward calling in Christ Jesus. Every one of you has an upward calling in Christ Jesus. This word calling is the Greek word, where it's not used, this is kalesios, which is rooted in the word kaleo. Kaleo means to summon, it's a command, come forth. 
Right? So when God commands repentance, he kaleos it. He summons it forth. We are called unto him. Kaleo. Right? This is klesios. It means invitation. God invites you to something higher. That's what he's saying here. You don't have to. Let us press towards the upward invitation that he gives us. He's inviting you to something past your life. He's inviting you out of the ordinary and into the extraordinary. It's an invitation. You don't have to take it, but he's inviting you to it. This is why when we think that everything that God does happens by default, like God's going to do what God's going to do. No, he's not. No, he's not. My life's the way it is because it's God's will. No, it's not. No, it's not. Your life is a, circum- is a combination of choices. Your life is a combination of activation. Your life is a combination of people, places, and things. That's what your life is. It's not, not everything in your life is God's will. Not everything is God's will. Everything's God's will. Who told you that? God's will that no one perish and all come to repentance. Is it God's will that people go to hell? No. Is it God's people that people die lost? No. God's will is that everyone gets saved, but not everyone will. Because you have to choose. We have to choose. Not everything in your life is God's will. The Bible says, by a man's choices, his life turns to calamity, yet his heart rages against the Lord. By his own choices, his life becomes a train wreck, but yet he blames the Lord. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> it's interesting. The last thing it could be is my fault. It cannot possibly be my fault. It has to be somebody's fault. It's the cat's fault. It's the dog's fault. It's my grandma's fault. It's somebody's fault, but it's not my fault. That woman that you gave me, that snake, not me. Not me. I couldn't have any responsibility here. <laughs> Jesus has a purpose for your mistakes. Say it with me. Jesus, Jesus has a purpose for my mistakes. He works all things out to the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. You start moving with the Lord, it doesn't matter what happens. Even the mistakes that you make begin to work for your good. How beautiful is that? Anybody want their mistakes to work for their good? Right? Peter was going to make a mistake, right? Right? Watch this one. Satan has desired you to sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you. And after you go through this, Jesus let him go through this. Satan does nothing but by right. He had a claim of self-sufficiency against Peter. Peter was claiming self-sufficiency. All will depart for you, but I won't. I'm Peter. I am self-sufficient. Boastful pride. Devil's like, I'll take that. I claim the right to challenge his self-sufficiency. Devil can't do anything but by right. And so Peter was challenged in his self-sufficiency, found lacking. And Peter said, and God told Peter, after you've gone through this, I want you to use this experience to help others. In your, help the egotistical people that you find yourself around. <laughs> Some of you, you've had train wrecks over stupid choices. And the enemy has pillaged your land only to see the Lord rebuild it back again. And you're like, I'm never doing that again. One of the ways God will use your mistakes is by helping other people. Take it from me. <laughs> Anybody have teenagers? I have a teenager, my son. It's like, how do you know? What, how do you know? I'm like, because I'm twice, you, twice of what you are. Whatever your adult life experience, times that by two, and that's me. Whatever you think you know, times that by two, and that's me. You know? <laughs> anyway. Lastly, the benefit of overflowing life. This is important. Your life is eternal, Christian. Did you know that? Do you know you're going to live forever? I mean, do you really know that you're going to live forever? In a kingdom, we're not going to be floating on harps, you know, floating on clouds, strumming harps, you know, looking like little cherubs. Woo, how's it going, Mitch? I'm good, Kevin. How are you doing? You know, we're going to be floating around like that. We're going to be living people in a living kingdom. Jesus is going to oversee a kingdom. He's going to bring his kingdom to the earth, and he's going to establish a kingdom, and he's going to seat upon a throne in Jerusalem. And you will rule and reign the nations with him, and you will be eternal. You'll be eternal beings ruling and ruling nations. You'll have levels of responsibility and benefit within, a king's, within the king's dominion on the earth. That's what the millennial looks like. Anybody want to do that? Come on. Ruling nations. Ruling cities. 
ruling people, serving Jesus, eternal beings. Your life is overflowing. One of the benefits of the overflowing life in Jesus is its world without end. You can't lose. Christian, let me challenge you to live with, with eternity in mind. Let me challenge you to look at this world as nothing more than a rehearsal for the one to come. This isn't a world. This world, yes, we consume things and we accumulate things, but the purpose of the consuming and the accumulation is, to go, is, is for his glory. We leave it all behind anyway, don't we? U-Haul trucks don't follow hearse, to my knowledge. <laughs> How much did he leave? All of it. All of it. It's only what we do for him that matters. It's only what we do for him. I'm not telling you to not build a life, but build a life that has substance and purpose with a direction that this is for Jesus. This isn't for me. This is for him. Jesus died and resurrected you in order to break Satan's power and free you from the enslavement of dying, the fear of dying. You have, there's, no, there's no fear in death, Christian. There's no fear in death. In a world where everybody's trying to preserve their life, what if we started actually living their life for Jesus? What if this was a wake-up call and it was like, you know, everybody's running around trying to keep their, you know, preserve their life. It's all stay safe. It's all stay safe. I don't even think the word safe exists in the Bible. I don't think it's a command upon God's people at all. Not once does this word safe exist. It's, to, it's, it's risk. Go forward, outward, upward. That's the command that's on our life. What if instead of living a life that tried to preserve and sustain itself, what if it was a life that was spent forward and upward for him? Instead of trying to preserve our life, start living your life. Who told you to stop living your life? Did Jesus tell you that? No? CNN told me. Well, that's your problem. CNN. The church is discipled more from the evening news than they are from the gospel itself. It's true. What goes through the eye gate, what goes through the ear gate affects the heart. The Bible says, guard your heart with all diligence. The gates to the heart, you're to guard it. In other words, you're not just to let everything pass into your eye gate. You're not, allowed, you're not just supposed to let everything go through your ear gate because it affects the heart. And the Bible says, out of the heart flow all of the issues of life. So if you're polluting yourself with toxic views and toxic understandings and negative viewpoints, every issue in your life is going to have that same result. You have to feed your faith and starve your fears. You have to feed the things that God says. It doesn't matter what people say. You're not afraid of an environmental crisis. Somebody asked me that one time. I said, not at all. You know why? Because the Bible doesn't say the earth is going to end in an environmental crisis. So all the save the earth people, I got news for you. And some of you, I know I'm going to offend somebody here, but that's okay. I'll step on your toes. Jesus will heal it, right? Maybe you need to start thinking biblically and not thinking circumstantially. Maybe you need to start thinking biblically and not thinking from this culture. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Who's washing your brain, Christian? Who's influencing you? So what happened? Adam sinned and became naked and vulnerable. And you know what the Lord asked him? Who told you that? Whose voice do you listen to that is not my own? We find ourselves in isolation and in fear. One of the roots of fear is by listening to voices that are not our fathers. The world is inundated with voices that are not our fathers. Inundated. I haven't watched the news in well over a year. You say you don't know what's going on? Not at all. Not at all. I have no clue. I hear certain things every now and then. You know why? I'm focused on his kingdom. I'm focused on his glory. I cannot run a race and look to the right. I cannot run a race and look to the left. None of that has an effect on me anyway. What does it matter? Forward and upward. Well, you might die, Pastor. If I die, I win. If I die, I win. You know, I'll get, I got this one. You spend 30 minutes. This is just this is an exercise. This is an exercise. All y'all out there, don't you turn that off yet. I have an exercise for you. Don't turn it off yet. You spend 30 minutes watching the news. If you do that, I want you to spend 30 minutes in Psalm 91. 30 minutes in Psalm 91. 30 minutes with whatever your news is, and then you go to Psalm 91, and you read that over and over again for as many minutes as you watch the news. You, you feed your faith, and you starve your fears. 
And you start feeding on faith and on promises and you see if your perspective doesn't shift. Strong delusion. Strong delusion, Christian. Strong delusion. Stop listening to godless people speaking godless things. Your God's on the throne. The plagues hit Egypt. You know that the Jews were held in Goshen? Not one cow died in Goshen. The firstborn didn't die in Goshen. The crops didn't fail in Goshen. Yeah. When the plagues hit Egypt, God had his people in a place called Goshen. Nobody died in Goshen. None of their crops failed. None of their cattle died. The hail didn't fall on Goshen. The lice didn't come on Goshen. The plagues and the pestilence didn't come on Goshen. Because they, they believed that their father would protect them. They had faith. They stood up, well, I don't know about that. Blah, blah, blah. Christian dumb. Christian dumb. Feed your faith, starve your fears, Christian. Stop listening to negative voices. You wonder why you're in the woods hiding? It's because you listen to voices that are not your father's. You wonder why every area of your life is in hiding? Because you listen to voices that are not your father's. You're fearful economically? Whose voice are you listening to? Did God tell you you're going broke? Anybody here feel like they're going broke? Did Jesus tell you that? Did he say that? No. If Jesus didn't say it, then it's a lie, and you're believing a lie. Just a thought. If Jesus didn't tell me, Jesus didn't tell me that. Your circumstances might, but he didn't say it. Overflowing life. Feed your faith, Christian. Starve your fears. Fear retards the flow of God in your life. Fear is of something that has not happened. It hasn't happened. It's just a voice. It's just that's all it is. It's an echo. Once it's happened, it's no longer fear. It's <laughs> not afraid anymore. Well, that happened. I guess I'm not afraid of that anymore. Right. Jesus died in order to break the power of death off you and to break the power of fear. Number one is fear. Number one fear is death. Only a fool. So what I would say to you is if you never received Jesus and you're living your life without receiving Jesus, I would say this. You live like a fool. You're like, you're calling me a fool? You're calling me a fool? The Bible says if you don't build your house upon Jesus, you're a fool. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. Only a fool would go through life unprepared for what is inevitable. We're all going to die. Yet we go through life unprepared for an inevitability. It's going to happen. One out of every one people die. This is the truth. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> Did I not say that right? One out of every one people die. <laughs> it's true. The issue isn't whether you're going to die. The issue is where you're going to spend eternity. That's the issue. People say, I don't believe that. Again, belief does not determine truth. We know it's real because Jesus told us. Heaven is real because Jesus told us. Gehenna or the lost place, or the lake of fire, if you really want to get specific. Jesus didn't mince words. He called it what it was. He said the lake of fire. He used the word called Gehenna. Those who reject me will go to the lake of fire. Not because God is judging them, but because they are under sin, and that's where sin will go. They are bound by sin. Jesus doesn't want you bound by sin. He wants you bound to him. He wants you in him. You have a sin problem. We're all born with it. Well, born with it. Bible says the wages of sin is death or eternal separation. But the gift of God is eternal life, a life overflowing. That's what it tells us. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. If you will open your heart to me, I will come in. See, it requires something from us. Jesus did everything for us and he drops the bar on the floor and he says, can you take a step? That's what it requires. It takes us, take, it requires you to take a step. It requires you to lower your heart and to believe in something that you don't understand. The gospel, is fool, the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. Those who are without Christ worship the intellect and the worship of the intellectual mind. The gospel doesn't mean anything to you because it doesn't make sense. Jesus never told you it was going to make sense. Spiritual things are spiritually discerned. God is not out to capture your intellect. He's, have to, he's out to capture your heart. And the things that make sense to your heart don't always make sense to your intellect. Jesus said, if you'll open the door of your heart, I will come in and I will commune with you. I will be at one with you. 
He said, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that I am Lord and I have risen from the dead, you'll be saved. You'll be saved. That's the simple equation. God did all of this work to give, you, give us this simple process to become born again. That's why man is without excuse. You imagine having heard the gospel repeatedly and you're going to stand before Jesus and Jesus is going to go, for real? You couldn't bow your heart? For real? You couldn't pray a prayer? For real? You had to preserve your dignity to such a high level as to separate yourself from me eternally? For real? Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. It's simple. It's simple. It's a 40-second prayer that would change eternity. The price of awakening is dignity. The price of revival is dignity. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. We're going to pray together here. We want you to pray with us at home. I'm going to do what the old preachers used to do to me. They're going to say, stretch your hand towards the screen. If you're going to receive Jesus this morning, I want you to hold your phone out in front of you at least. I don't care what you do. Pick it up, hold it out. If you're watching this on a computer, stretch your hand towards the screen. If you're here this morning and you want to receive Jesus, I want you to pray with us. If, you're, and if you've never received Jesus, the church itself is going to pray, and we want to pray with you. It's a simple prayer. Just repeat after me. Take the red pill, Neil. Just say this. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior and I need a Savior. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. Therefore, I open my heart to you, Jesus, and I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Well, we bless you. We're going to end the stream because we're going to take communion here at Elevate. But we love you. We honor you. And we want you to have a wonderful week. God loves you. And so do we. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So we're going to do uh, communion. And... Uh,